Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Artist Profile series. In this episode, I'm going to share a story with you from the life of a man whose name for many people has become a household name. This is the Scottish preacher Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers is perhaps best known for his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, which his wife Biddy compiled from his sermons and writings 10 years after his death in 1917. This book has been translated into numerous languages and has been read by millions of people all over the world. For some, this book has been second only to the Bible in its influence and impact on their spiritual lives. But if you're like me, although I've been familiar with this book for a number of years, I've known almost nothing about the author himself. This was true at least until last year during one of my travels when I wandered into an old bookshop and found a biography on his life titled Abandoned to God, The Life Story of the Author of My Utmost for His Highest by author David McCaslin. As I began to read through this biography, I was surprised to discover that this fiery preacher, whose words sometimes cut to the core without apology, also had a deep love and sensitivity toward the arts. Oswald Chambers was an accomplished musician, a poet, and a visual artist. In fact, in his earlier years, Oswald felt a deep sense of calling regarding the arts and desired his life work to involve reaching the art world with the love of Jesus. But here's where the story becomes all too familiar. Oswald's father, Clarence Chambers, was a Baptist minister and a pragmatic man. He discouraged Oswald's pursuit of music and art. Oswald had desired to further his training in art, but his father expressed great moral and practical concerns. For instance, art students are expected to draw the human figure from nude models. But his father saw this as an abomination and didn't approve of this path for his son. He saw the arts as a luxury and sought to steer Oswald toward a more practical way of making a living. Oswald didn't agree with his father's view of art. He saw art as God's gift, quote, to make life on earth bearable. To him, poetry and music were not luxuries, but necessities. Oswald went against his father's judgment and went on to receive a master's in art and began to teach in school. From here, Oswald's sense of calling to what he refers to as the aesthetic kingdom began to increase. He thought tirelessly of how the Christian life could be lived out through the arts. He wrote a letter to his girlfriend from London expressing his desire for God to use him in the realm of the arts. Here's an excerpt from the letter. Whom shall I send to proclaim the salvation of the aesthetic kingdom? Who will go for us? Then, through all my weakness, my sinfulness, and my frailty, my soul cried, Here am I, send me. I would as soon drown myself as undertake such a work unless he was with me, unless he called me, unless he sent me. 
Pray for me. I do not know how this is to be done, but there is something wrong somewhere, else Christians and art, music, and poetry would not in their training be so opposed to Christ. It is the training that is wrong, not the visible works of music and art and poetry. Again, I say I do not know how this is to be accomplished, but if God calls, God will guide, and I know that this kingdom shall become the kingdom of his Son. He goes on later in the letter to say, I know my life work is in the almighty strength of Jehovah to strike for the redemption or rather proving Christ's redemption for the aesthetic kingdom. There is much in all these already bowed to the kingship of Christ, but the spirit of art is to so sad an extent the spirit of immorality. The kingdom of aesthetics lies in a groveling quagmire half fine, half impure. There is a crying need for a fearless preacher of Christ in the midst of that kingdom, for a fearless writer writing with the blood of Christ, proclaiming his claims in the midst of that kingdom, for a fearless lecturer above pandering to popular taste to warn and exhort that all the kingdoms of this world are to become Christ's, that artists, poets and musicians be good and fearless Christians. The preacher, lecturer, writer must be a man of God first, then a soulful student, that he may preach, lecture, and write with authority. I think I have heard that cry and have been seeing the beseeching look of Christ toward that kingdom, longing for it to be his own. It may be said that the ordinary minister can do this. Only a few can. The majority know not the love of beauty as an artist knows it. And artists, as a rule, will not heed ministers. It is for the man of God artist to enter this aesthetic kingdom and live and struggle and strain for its salvation and exaltation. But although Oswald's passion and sense of calling toward the arts was genuine and direct as he expressed in this portion of the letter, he struggled to find any significant or lasting work in these areas. He sold a few illustrations, but eventually fell into financial trouble and began to cry out to God for answers. Again, in a letter to his friend, he says, Oh, if in the infinite goodness of God, he would permit me to be of use to his great cause in art, then how could I contain such an honor? But his is the future and not mine. During this time of his life, doors within the realm of the arts continued to close while doors leading him toward the more conventional form of ministry and preaching seemed to be opening. He experienced a tug of war in his heart and wrestled intensely whether he was to let go of his dream of influence within the arts and pursue the life of a preacher. This tension in his heart led him to a place of deep prayer and solitude searching for God's way. To quote the book, it says, Chambers prayed aloud, alternately thanking God and pleading with Him to make His way plain. He wanted to serve Him in art, to go where others could not or would not take the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the way seemed blocked and now perhaps forbidden. O God, He pleaded, make Thy way plain to me. Ultimately, 
After this intense time of soul searching, Oswald chose to pursue the path of ministry, though the desire to be a voice in the world of the arts stayed with him. He said, this may after all be more conducive to gaining the ultimate end of being an ambassador for Christ in the art world than if I were merely a lecturer. God moves in mysterious ways. This point of the story leaves me with several questions and a mix of emotion. On the one hand, I could admire the resolve and devotion he expressed to abandon everything, even his greatest passion unto God. Who am I to judge another person's encounter with the call of God? But I can't help but wonder, was he influenced by his father's reservations? Did he buckle in the face of great difficulty? Or was he a forerunner of a movement whose full expression is only now beginning to push through the soil? It saddens me to think he never saw the fullness of what he desired to see concerning the aesthetic kingdom. But regardless of what ultimately led Oswald Chambers away from his pursuit of art and into the conventional ministry, there's no arguing against the tremendous influence his life work left behind. Perhaps Oswald's greatest contribution to the world of art didn't come through his own talents or through lecturing to communities of artists, but maybe his greatest contribution to the artist is his example of living a life completely abandoned to God.